Greetings from the National Association of Free Will Baptists, and our theme is we're better together. So milk alone, no good. Oreos alone, no good. And so as Christians, we're better together. As churches, we're better together. So that means like uh, outside of Jackson, Mississippi and Pearl, Mississippi, you are tied to that church there. You're tied to the churches in Cuba, as Brother Gary just mentioned, and in Mexico. And really, as we all come together and work together, we're more effective for the kingdom of Christ. And so that's really the motto. That's what we're trying to do with the National Association of Free Will Baptists. And we have some goals. We're trying to help our people to be effective. We're trying to help our pastors to be effective. And then we're trying to help our churches to be as effective as they can. That's why Pastor Terry is in Pearl this morning trying to strengthen some of the, one of the churches that is there. And it's our belief that when we have strong and healthy churches, we'll have a strong and healthy denomination and a strong and healthy country as well. We'll be able to impact our country for the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the ways we try to do that is we have a podcast called Better Together. And so I'm hoping you're listening to uh, Brother Terry, is his podcast, and sharing that with others. It's a great medium to reach folks. For us, it's a great medium to kind of train and to equip, we believe, our churches. And so there's all kinds of podcasts. Here's one of a Cuban pastor or a Cuban physician, actually, who was ministering. She talks about how she ministered to the Kurds in Iraq. We did this in Cuba. Here's one where Dr. Neil Gillen is talking about how to get through a grieving time. So there's all kinds of podcasts there that would be helpful to you. We encourage you to subscribe. And if you're on Facebook, please go to NAFWB or to Better Together NAFWB and like the page. And you know how that works. Every time one comes up, you'll see it. We encourage you to listen to it. And if it's helpful to share it and encourage others uh, to pay attention to it as well. We have a NAFWB Facebook site where we put various resources that can be used on social media. Every Tuesday, there's kind of a, uh, a little graphic with how to apply a certain scripture. Every Thursday, there's a graphic of a particular Bible verse. So how about checking that out? Maybe subscribe to the page. And when you see something you think is helpful, share it and encourage others to use it and look at it as well. There's also an Instagram um, page if you're into Instagram, so check that out. And a YouTube page that you could just go and subscribe. There are usually about three videos that come out with various issues. Gary Curry talks about how to help people in prisons and so forth as an example all kinds of things that might be helpful to you wherever you're at in the walk or would be helpful to other people that you're trying to disciple or minister to and how many of you get the one magazine would you raise your hand if you get that okay so if you don't get it and you would like to get it just go to the welcome center and they have a clipboard that says one magazine if you will give us your address we'll send that to you every two months and there's just a lot of help articles that are there that you can you could share with friends and family as well and so we encourage you to check that out we also have something called the NAFWB news so it comes out every two weeks and also on special occasions like 
at the time of the election and during Sanctity of Human Life Week. We'll, we'll put something out specially for that. If you would like to get the NAFWB news, go to the Welcome Center and there's a sheet there just to put your email address, but just make sure it's real clear and legible. And we'll put you on that list and every two weeks you'll get something there from us. As a denomination, we have adopted three goals that we hope to work through during this decade. By 2030, we want to be more effective reaching, training, and giving. And so by reaching, we mean trying to reach the nuns, those who believe in nothing in particular, trying to reach people that are hard to reach, and just helping our churches to be more effective. So we have denominational goals. We're also asking churches to develop goals and individuals to develop goals. And so for 2021, we're saying, think to yourself, who are people that God laid on your heart to minister to and take at least one person and intentionally try to share your faith and reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ and so we've got three levels of goals in that way we're also encouraging folks to train and so we think about training and discipling and so as a denomination we're trying to equip our people with resources they need to be more effective with discipleship but we do ask every individual to identify someone that they are discipling someone that's already a Christian that they're helping to develop their faith and to grow in their faith and be strengthened and that could be multiple people we actually hope it would but at least one person and then we have a goal of give and by give yes we're talking financially but we're also talking about the gifts that God has given you, the personality that He's given you. So as a denomination, we're trying to create resources where people know how God made them to be and then to get in that setting where they can use those gifts, use those skills for the Lord. And so we ask you to think about how God's made you, what gifts has He given you, and how can you go and use those in the ministry. But we do ask, think about financially, think about giving of tithes and offerings to your church. And one of the things we're trying to do as a denomination is really push back against so much of the debt that we find in our country. And so we think about the passage that says the laborer is servant to the lender. So we're trying to develop uh, a lot of endowments, if you will. And so an endowment is money that is set aside. The principal is never touched. Only the earnings are pulled off. And so we've set a, as a goal, as a denomination, to put $5 million in the Together Way, uh, in the Together Way Endowment. So the first person to give something to the Together Way Endowment was in 1981. He gave $100. Because it is an endowment, the $100 is still there. But then if you give $100, then your $100 is there, and that stays there too. And so we we've, we've basically have committed we're not touching that until it gets to $5 million. And what that means is that money will continue to benefit our ministries until Jesus Christ returns. So that $100 will be there in 10 years. It'll be there in 30 years. It'll be there in 100 years. We only touch the interest, and that's what we send out to the ministries to use. So we're trying to be more effective, more uh, to be good stewards, if you will, and so think about that. 
You heard Brother Terry is not here, so he's working with something called Refresh, where we try to provide resources to churches, helping them to be more effective. Here's a picture of Brother Terry in case you forgot what he looked like. He's in the middle there in red. And so we have coaches that we have trained that's kind of all the way from North Carolina to California that try to help out churches. Many churches are having difficulty with the COVID situation. When churches close, what we find is it is far, it's a far more difficult situation for their community. And so we're having churches, this is, everyone's having this throughout the nation that are closing more rapidly than we're able to start churches. So we're trying to help churches be more effective and to be, more, to be better skilled at reaching their communities and discipling the folks that they're interacting with. I encourage you to come to Memphis. I know you probably come from time to time since you live here, but put these dates on your calendar. July 18th through the 21st, there'll be all kinds of seminars. There'll be some preaching. There'll be all kinds of youth activities to check out there in Memphis, Tennessee. And just to be frank with you, it's going to be a ministry to the city. They are struggling because of what has happened with COVID, how it's impacted tourism, how it has impacted their restaurants. It's, it's, they're really hurting. And so we'll go, and just our presence will be an economic boom, but we'll also be looking, and you'll hear more about that at our podcast and nafwb.org, trying to do activities to minister there to that particular community because they need our prayers Last week, they had no water because of the ice storm. They just, it's like one thing after another seems to hit them. Our goal is to do what we can to help our people and help our churches. And really, that's another motto, to partner with you in the ministry. That's why we're here. And we thank you for what you do for us. Now, this morning, I want to talk to you about something very important. It's that second goal, training and discipling. So if you'll take your Bible, turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. So you've been talking about families forever, God's plan for our relationships. So what I want to speak to you about this morning is how it takes a church to build a family. A family is not what it should be or what it could be absent the involvement it has with the local church. You ever feel like the world has just turned upside down. Here's a picture. It's an old picture from 1647. They had raised taxes. And this fellow, you may know him, he printed John Smith. He wrote a little pamphlet about the world had turned upside down and drew this picture. Rats are chasing cats. Foxes are chasing or rabbits are chasing foxes. And, of course, he's got his clothes upside down. The world, he said, had turned upside down. If you're a reader of the news, you heard this past week that more Americans are identifying as LGBT, 5.6% of all Americans. And then as you look, about, look at Generation Z, one in six of Generation Z says that they are LGBT. This is old. This is, uh, what, what was it, three years ago where we're looking at the number of people who have had, had basically sex changes, sex reassignment surgery. Some of these were very young people. Some of these were older people. And some of these, I would say, in my former background working in psychology, they weren't prepared to make these kinds of decisions. But decisions are being made that will impact them for the rest of their lives. Our world has turned upside down. 
Now, if you go out these hallways, right down the way, there's a nursery. And there's some kids there. And let's just call, let's say we've got two kids there. One, let's name her uh, Jane. And the fellow on the right, let's name him Jeremy. And so I want you just to think in your mind for just a minute. What is going to happen to Jane and Jeremy? What's the world going to be like that they experience? You might be able to think about the world you're in now and how it's changed in the last year, the last decade or decades. What will it be like for these two? What kinds of challenges are they going to face? Think about as they grow up, as they're children and they're dealing with things at school. Think about as they get into the point where they'll date and how that will be. Think about when they reach the time to maybe go off to college or into the military or do particular jobs. What are they going to face? What will happen if they get married? What will happen during the course of that and if they have children and even grandchildren? What is their life going to be, back, be like? And then... As their life ends, you know, we talk about being on one's deathbed. As they look back, what kinds of things will they have seen? What kinds of things will they have, exp have experienced? And I want you to ask, were they ready for what they saw? Were they prepared for what is coming their way? The Bible tells us some 2,000 years ago, there were some tough times. And Paul talks about how to deal with it in Titus chapter 2. But before we get to that, I want you to look at Titus 1 because I think it shows us things have not changed. Titus chapter 1, scroll down and look at verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. There is a lot of empty talking everywhere you look today. Now, they're not the Judaizers of that day, but they're in your media. They're the folks that are prominent. They're the people giving the messages. They're all over the place. Now, what are those people doing some 2,000 years ago? Look at verse 11. He says, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching uh, for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. A lot of people made a lot of money on some really trashy television shows and various media doing real good for them, but it's tearing the family apart and so many lives are just going down as a result. So what's his solution? He says in verse 16, these people, many of them, profess to know God. In those days, some of them were actually involved in the church a bit, but they deny him by their works you could tell by their actions they are detestable <laughs> disobedient and they're unfit for any good work so just change from judaizers to some of the folks that we encounter in our culture today and look at how it's upsetting things it's changing things look at chapter 2 verse 1 as for you teach teach what accords with sound doctrine older men or to be sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train their young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. So, the world was turned upside down. 
What do you do? I love that first phrase. As for you. It doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. This is what you, Titus, this is what you need to be engaged in. This is what we need to be engaged in here as Christians at this time. When I was a kid, I made some mistakes. Sometimes I came home and I talked to my mom, and my mom was meaner than y'all's mom, but I hope this is not going out anywhere. But anyway, she's a sweet person, though. She's a very sweet lady. But anyway, my mom, I said to her, Mom, Johnny's doing this, and Howard's doing this. Can I do it? She said, I don't care what Johnny's doing. I don't care what Howard's doing. Your mom's name is Donna, and this is what Eddie's doing. (laughs) So it's like everybody can do everything else they want to do, but you're, you're having to live up to a different standard and a different mother, okay? And so she's like, you will not do those things. And sometimes I want explanations. I really got them. But anyway, uh, this is what it's going to be. This is how it, how it is. Paul is saying to Titus, it's a crazy world. Crazy stuff's happening. Forget about it. Focus on what you're supposed to be doing. Focus on what God has called you to do and get busy doing it. That's what he says to Titus. And he wants his church to do that as well. So what does he want them to do? Teach. Teach, he says, what accords with sound doctrine. I do not believe you can be the kind of Christian God wants you to be and not teach. Now, when I say teach, I don't mean you have to stand before a classroom or do what I'm doing. You're teaching day in and day out at home with your children. You're teaching as you go to work. The people around you, they're learning something. They're learning things from you. It's not optional. He says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So when I read something like that, I say, well, what is sound doctrine? Sound doctrine is what we just sang of. I believe in God the Father, right? I believe in the virgin birth. It is the basics of the Christian faith, the core of what we believe. And as we think about our culture, here's a couple of things I think that classify sound doctrine. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness. So every person in this room is made in the image of God. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. There's an article up there from uh, Outdoor Journal. Human lives are not more important than animal lives. I started teaching on some level in 1993 in state colleges and universities. And I think 1995, I was in one of my first classes and a big spider walked across the room. I don't like spiders. And so I looked at that spider and some other people didn't like spiders. They were having a reaction. And I said, this is disrupting my class. And then I had some students say, how would you feel if if somebody did that to you? They were equating the spider with a human being. That's that. That is the outgrowth of evolution. You're just an animal. You just evolved. And so that spider, he's just like you. And who, you know, what can you do? It gets worse. Here's a book. It's actually published by Oxford Press. Some people think that humans are just plain more important than other animals. I ask, more important than whom? This person is saying that animals are as important as you are, that you are equal with animals. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Jane, Jeremy, 
You are made in the image of God. You are special. You matter more than animals, and actually God put the animals here for you to enjoy, for you to have dominion over them. Teach them sound doctrine. You and I may see things we never thought we would see. We have people that say you can't even say he and she and all of this business anymore. But if you go to the very beginning, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. Gender is not on a spectrum. There are men and there are women. And so we teach that to each other. Guys, sometimes, you know, there's a lot of different kind of guys and different kind of gals, but they're guys or gals. And so we instill that and we teach that and we prepare each other. You probably know in this country we have killed 62 million children uh, from abortion. And in many ways, we have completely ignored where God said, be fruitful and multiplied. We have chosen to go in a different direction. And so today, this top article is coming from NBC News, their website. Science proves kids are bad for earth. Morality suggests we stop having them. Seven reasons, it's another article, people shouldn't have children according to science. So they're saying that children uh, create global warming. 62 million. You know, we do not have enough people, younger people, right now to support the aging population that we have, can't support their health care, can't support their Social Security. It's a problem we had 62 million people we could do it we have wiped out a whole generation and so we teach our children no 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 no. (laughs) children are important buddy uh you know think about it they matter they're you know that's the way it's supposed to be and so we love them and we support them and we don't see them as a drag on society we see them for what they are Prior to the pandemic, we had a situation where the work participation figure was lower, really, than it had ever been. There was no reason for it because of the, the, the strength of the economy. People were writing articles about it, trying to figure out what to do about it. And in many ways, you see a pushback on what the Lord taught all the way back in Genesis 2. He put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he said, keep it and work it. Work is good. Work is honorable. Work is a way of honoring and glorifying the Lord. We teach sound doctrine when we teach each other to do things to the honor and glory of the Lord, and we value work. So Paul writes to Titus, says, I don't care what anybody else says. This is what I'm saying to you, buddy. Get busy teaching. Teach. And if I'm Titus, I'm looking at this, I'm saying, well, who does the teaching? Well, if you're a reader of the Old Testament, you know that passage. Teach diligently your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the way, when uh, you go to bed and uh, when you rise in the morning. And so this is the model that parents would talk to their children every morning when they got up about something about the Lord. As they go through the day, they've got times where they unplug from social media and they teach something about Jesus. As they go through the evening, before they go to bed at night, before they lie down, 
they do something where they talk about the Lord. My work used to be in psychology. And whatever you do, the one to two hours before you go to bed, you don't know it, but your brain processes that and thinks about that all through the night. And so the Lord knows that, knew that, because he made us. And he says, focus on me. And the most important thing you do is the first thing you do when you get up, get your kids focused on God in the beginning. Now, 2,000 years ago, some people had two parents. Some people had no parents. They had a mess. And so when you look here in this passage, Paul is saying, Titus, you don't have the Deuteronomy picture. So this is what you do. Look at verse 2. Older men. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and, and steadfastness. And older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. Every person in this room is supposed to be teaching people about the Lord. Now, We've got young people here, right? You know, you teach things to people that you go to school with that their parents can't teach them because you're one year removed or you're in the same class. And so it doesn't matter if you're a young person or an old person. Everybody that's a, you're a step up, a little more mature, a little more spiritually developed than someone else, you have a responsibility to do what you can to teach them about the Lord. You keep going in this passage here, and he talks about some significant things to teach him. He says in verse 2, he says, you're to be sober-minded, you're to be dignified, and you're to have self-control. So he's getting at, you teach them how to control their temper. You teach them how to act. And again, sometimes younger people can do that with another peer better than an older person. You teach them how to pick, figure out who to go on a date with. You teach them how to act on those things. You teach them how to behave when they get married, how they behave if they have children. You teach them these things that we often don't really find in books. Verse 3 says, Older women likewise to be reverent behavior, not slanders or slave to much, to much wine. They teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. You teach how to interact with the opposite gender, the things that really matter. Now, to really teach, and you know this, we have to train, and we have to mentor, and we have to disciple. And so that's why we say everyone needs to think about who it is that they're mentoring in their lives. You probably know this, that every day, on average, 121 people take their lives. That was the figure before the pandemic. It's probably worse now. You probably know that every day, 116 people die from an opioid overdose. Pre-pandemic, it's probably worse than that now. And so there's some people that have looked at that and said, well, that's because people don't have mentors. One out of every three young people do not have someone that's mentoring them. And so there's a lot of push out there in the education field. Let's get some mentoring going. And we find that when you have children that are at risk, young people that are at risk, you put one adult mentor with them, they're 55% more likely to enroll in college, 
90% more likely to enroll, 90% more likely to be interested in being a mentor, and 130% more likely to hold some sort of leadership position. These are kids that were kind of struggling a bit, but when they had a mentor to come along, they had some successful results. Now, what about Christians? Several years ago, there were some researchers. They looked at Christians, young people, and they're ni- they actually were 19 years of age. And they looked at them, and they were trying to figure out these people who stayed in the faith, why did they stay in the faith? How did they stay in the faith? And they asked them certain questions about their lives to explain what kinds of experiences they had. And they found that the people who had remained strong in their faith had six or more mentors as they were growing up. So as you look around this room and you see various young people, they need six people talking in and helping them and speaking to them in their lives. Now what if we don't do that? Look, if you will, back in Titus 2 and scroll down and look at the last part of verse 5 and he says, We do this that the word of God may not be reviled. I used to interact with people that... uh, used to really push back on Christianity and our idea of marriage. And they like to throw some statistics up in my face like this. Do you know the divorce rate for atheists is lower than the divorce rate for people that claim they're Christians? When you begin to think about that, it's a scary thought. But the first time someone confronted me with that, I thought to myself, Titus 2. That's exactly what Paul said to Titus. When we don't mentor, when we don't disciple as God has called us to do, this is what is the result. If you keep going here in Titus 2, he says, show yourself in all respects a model of good works. And so it's one thing that we teach something, but really what we have to do is we have to be a model of good works. He says in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. And there's the, a similar phrase, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say. And so we're thinking in, about how we can teach these, this sound doctrine, but we're also doing what we can to model it and to involve people in it. Benjamin Franklin said, You tell me and I forget. You teach me and I may remember. But if you involve me, he says, I will learn. And so I think about my experiences at the church I was at. Here's my son, and he's sitting here behind, beside a man who was a Korean War veteran. And he modeled for my son often by just going and eating and engaging in various activities. And here's a little article talking about you can go eat, you can be playing like biking or sledding or whatever it would be. You can be doing all kinds of things. And if you've got Christian adults with younger people, it ends up having a magnificent effect. This is a, one of the ladies that was in our church Her name is Diane. My uh, in-laws died right after we arrived at our church. And one day she came, or she did this across the course of their lives, but she said to my kids at different places, I don't care whatever happens to you. I don't care wherever you find yourself. Here's my number. You can call me anytime, any place. I will be there for you. I will help you. I will not forsake you. And so my kids, for 19 years we were there. And even it continues to this day, they knew if they ever got into a tight spot, if they couldn't get us, 
You can get Miss Diane. You look over here on the right. This is another young lady in our church. And the girl that she's holding is someone that to this day looks up to her, is impressed by her. And so this girl's trying to follow the Lord. She's being helped by older people within the church. And she is in turn discipling and mentoring and modeling other young people along in the church. We involve them in ministry as well. If you look at this picture, there's three different generations that are there uh, visiting with this fellow who's ill. You can really see it in this particular picture. And what you're doing is they're making connections. They're starting to know different people there within the church. So they know something about their lives. They know how they got to where they're at. And it teaches them things like ministry is fun and work is good and these kinds of things by being modeled to them and by them seeing it. We live in a world that's turned upside down. But our world doesn't have to be turned upside down. We can be in the midst of chaos, but if we are training and mentoring and modeling, we're going to have a different result. And if you keep on reading in Titus 2, Paul talks about that. In verse 9, he talks about how to work. He talks about bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters. And he says, don't be a pilferer. Be someone that works to the best of your ability. And then in verse 11, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright lives, godly lives in this present age. When we do what this passage says we should do, we have different life outcomes. And it's a shining light to all the people to see it. But it takes a church for us to be able to do it. Scroll down and look at verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify us a people for his own possession, a zealous people for good works. That's the result of living out this kind of life. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. When we live like this, when we train, disciple, model, and teach like this, people notice there's something different. It's not the same. And they're attracted to it. And the world around us may be upside down, but their world's not upside down. Or their world gets righted. And it happens one person after another person, and it changes our communities. And eventually, it could even change our nation. One day, we'll stand before a holy God. And I think we're going to hear a little bit about 112 and 116. 112 kill themselves every day. 116 die from an, uh, an overdose. I think we're going to hear about all the confusion about their own identity and the messages of this world and how we were around people. And we could have taught. We could have discipled. We could have modeled. But maybe we didn't. And I fear we'll say we didn't have time for it. And I fear the Lord will look at us and say there was nothing more important. There's nothing more important than people. And on the other hand, I'm hoping 
what we're going to hear is we're going to get a little bit of a picture of what happened and we're going to think we didn't really do a lot and I'm think, I hope Jesus is going to say, well, you remember this guy that you went to school with? You remember this fellow that was in one of your classes? You remember going camping with that person? Well, you didn't know it, but he was going through this or she was experiencing that and their life was righted and it went a different direction. It had a different outcome. And I'm hoping, as a result, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Every person in this room is called to reach people, to train and disciple people, and to give of your talents, your, your time to other people, to help them. And when we truly come together as church families and we invest in people, their lives are different and it has an impact for all eternity. Father, we thank you for this passage that you gave to us so many years ago. Lord, we think about what's happened through history since you gave this to Paul and he passed it on to Titus. How there have been so many plagues, there have been so many wars, there have been so much disruption all through history. But all through that time, you've had your remnant of people that would go back to this passage and they would apply it. They would live it out and it would change lives. Father, we ask that in this upside world that we're in right now, that we'll take this passage, that we'll apply it, that each of us will identify people that we're trying to reach with the gospel, that each of us will be teaching with our lives, modeling the scripture and teaching it to others that we'll have people all through our lives that we're discipling and helping them to grow in Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to follow this teaching. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 1030. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like answered, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.